This is the Endurance Church Podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible-based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. And now, today's message. All right, let's jump into the scripture. I have a lot of stuff to cover today, man, and it's going to be hard to do it all, but I'll do my best. If you can't open your Bible to Genesis chapter 28, um, and we're going to try to go through 10 through 22. But if you don't know, uh, a lot of people, particularly New Testament Christians, have a hard time going back to the Old Testament because they have no idea how to preach on the Old Testament. It's hard to preach on the Old Testament. There's so much information in the Old Testament. Some people just say, hey, I just rather not even touch it. Uh, if you don't have any, uh, I say, background information, or if you don't have skill in understanding the text, it is literally almost impossible to preach certain texts in the Old Testament, particularly Genesis, which is one of the hardest scriptures in all of mankind uh, texts to preach because there's so much information there. Um, but we're going to jump in here, the story of Jacob. I think Jacob often gets a bad rap. I, I don't know why. Uh, I think a lot of people try to use his name. Some people say it's deceiver. Some people say it's supplanter. I'm under the supplanter school of thought. I believe he supplanted Esau. And I think that's a big part of his calling. Jacob was one who valued the things of God over Esau. And God liked that. Remember, Jacob, God loved, but Esau, he did what? Hated. Remember, if we go back uh, earlier in uh, chapter 28, uh, well, even chapter 27, it was time for uh, Esau to receive his blessing. And his mom tried to get tricky chicanery. I like that word. I've been using it since third grade. I remember when the teacher said it, we just said chicanery. We just, we just liked how it rolled off the tongue. Nevertheless, his mom was involved in this. And what his mom wanted was for Jacob to get the blessing. So what she did is she had her son, if you're not familiar with this passage, one of the most uh, important scriptures in all the Bible, also very funny. The mom had Jacob to dress up like her brother. And she had him put on like, I'm being joking in order to make the point, like gorilla arms because his brother was hairy. Esau, he was very hairy. So he had like gorilla arms and put mud on himself and went to his father who was blind at the time, Isaac, to receive this blessing. So the father sent Esau out to get food. And once he brought the food back, he would prepare it, give it to the father, and the father Isaac would give him a blessing. But the mom heard it and in a sense told her son Jacob, whom she loved and liked, say, hey, go fix him a meal right quick. Dress up like this and go to your father and then you can sneakily, I threw that in there, sneakily uh, steal the blessing. Well, he sneakily got in there and received the blessing. And then Esau found out about it and he was so upset. Why? Because there was no more blessing left for Esau. Now, in God's divine sovereignty, a lot of people think that's when he received the blessing. But that wasn't the time because he did it in deception. Actually, Jacob was blessed again publicly before he was sent out. And when he was blessed publicly, he left Beersheba under the guise that he would go to Haran to get a wife. So remember, at this particular time, we go into 20, 
in uh, Genesis chapter 28, starting with verse 5, it says that Jacob is sent away by Isaac. He's a single man looking for a wife. Now Esau at this time was already married to two ladies who were Canaanites. And Canaanites throughout the scripture were considered uh, bad people. They were corrupted. So these Canaanite women were disgusting to Rebekah and, in a sense, Isaac. They didn't like these women. They were, they were considered, uh, in God's eyes, his enemy. So Esau saw the blessing and heard that he, Jacob, should go to Haran to find a wife. So you see in about verse um, 8 that Esau comes up with this plan. Wait a minute. I'm not getting the blessing because I got wives who are from Canaan. He said, okay, I'll know what I'll do. I'll go ahead and get an Ishmaelite wife, which is not a Canaanite. And then I'll please my dad and mom. He thought, you know what? There's still an opportunity for me to get the blessing. Now, Jacob has to leave home on his own. Jacob has just received the blessing of God. He's thinking, I'm going to get all my dad's stuff. I'm going to get this great inheritance. And he's leaving his house with nothing but a walking stick. He's leaving in haste. Why? Because Esau is going to try to kill him. Esau was a manly man. Now, Jacob was pretty manly too. He was just not an outdoorsman. Because remember, Jacob wrestled with an angel and won. But Esau was also a manly man. So he, Jacob, is fleeing for his life. And on his way out, he's alone. He has just received the blessing of God. God is about to, in a sense, give him all these great and precious promises. And he's leaving Beersheba with nothing. So much for the blessing of God, right? I've been that facetiously. But nevertheless, we, at this point, find Jacob alone. I've been to this area of the, in a sense, when I was uh, in Amman, Jordan, headed to Mount Nebo, and uh, I saw the desert. And the desert is really a funny thing, because in the desert, and during the day, it is very hot, like Arizona hot, like 130, 100, it's hot, just hot for no reason. But the problem with the desert at night is what? It's very cold. Now, this young man has just received the blessing of God. He, he, in a sense, deceived his brother, got the blessing, then was once again blessed by his father. Technically, in a sense, officially, he's leaving home thinking, okay, I'm going to get the blessing, but first I have to go away and get a wife. Now, in the back of his mind, he's probably scared because Esau is still at home. And Esau is going to try to manipulate his dad to get all the stuff. So he's leaving home, going to get a wife, no fanfare, scared, and has nothing but trust. Let's jump in. I got a quote from Joyce Meyer. And Joyce Meyer is... Whether you like her or not, I'm just going to be transparent as possible. She's a prosperity teacher. And I don't know where you fall on the spectrum of prosperity gospel. Joyce Meyer has written a lot of stuff that's helped a lot of people. So I'm not going to, I don't critique people in that fashion. Uh, Joyce Meyer has helped me out a lot. But she had a quote here I thought was appropriate for the message today. 
Joyce Meyer said this. I will never forget this. I went and threw myself across my daughter's bed. Cried and I 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 cried. Because I felt like that I'd been so faithful and there was no financial breakthrough for us. You ever have one of those days where you are tired of hearing everybody else's testimony? But I made a decision that day, and I think we all have to come to this point in many different areas of our life. And as I lay across my bed and I cried, when I finally got done crying, I said this out loud. It was like my declaration or vow. She said, God, I'm going to tithe and give offerings until the day I die, whether I ever see anything from and you know what? From that day forward, began to prosper and increase. And I believe with all my heart, that was a test for me. So as we try to teach here, the point of me reading it is to say, if you tithe, you'll get back from God. Because we know biblically, we do get back from God. We just don't know when it is. Because God can reserve all your blessings in heaven. Right? And I could have cut off the text right here. And stop right here and left all this out to make the point. But the point she's making is, you know what? I decided I'm not going to give to get. I'm going to give to God. That's my vow. Regardless of the outcome, I'm going to give. Because you deserve it, Lord. We're going to see here a similar vow that was made by Jacob. He's at the worst time in a sense of his life. It's called Jacob's Trouble. From, uh, from chapter 28, verse 5 on, is Jacob's trouble. He gets to take advantage of by his uncle. It's just all bad, right? He tries to marry one lady. He wakes up the, after the wedding night. It's a different one. He has to work hard for I mean, he's just getting taken advantage of. But he has this one thing that makes him one of the patriarchs. He wasn't just a patriarch for any old reason. He didn't happen to just slip into it. This guy trusted God. He's leaving home with nothing. And here, when he has nothing, he's actually wealthy. Because he has this experience. God comes to him. And I'm telling you, I don't care what condition you find yourself in. Remember Job. Job had lost everything, but God showed up. And whenever God showed up, it changed Job's entire perspective of life. He was like, I, I'm, I'm changing my mind. What I was speaking about was incorrect. See, if you have this real experience with God, if God really shows up in your life, I'm not talking about, okay, we kind of think that was the Lord. Like literally a theophany. When God appears to you, whether it be in a dream or an angel or a clear miracle, when that happens, consider yourself the wealthiest person in the world. Why? Because you know he exists. And if, he's, if he exists, then he's faithful to keep all of his promises. If you know he's real, then doubt should wash away. The problem most people have day after day is this wrestling match. Is God really even real? And if he's real, is he good? And if he's good, is he good to me? And you go through this wrestling match, but if God happens to show up on your door, trust and know that is the best day of your life. 
verse 10. It says, now Jacob went out from Beersheba toward Haran. Jacob's going to travel 450 miles on foot with oh, food. <laughs> this is a man who's going to learn to what? Trust God. It says, 11, so he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. Remember, we talked about it earlier. Once the sun sets, it gets cold. The temperature drops astronomically. And it says, and he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. So think about this. The only thing he has to get comfort when he sleeps is a rock. Now, I love firm pillows. I don't know about you, but I, I like firm pillows. Particularly, I like pillows that are cold. Like, when the pillow gets hot, I got to flip it over and start to work on the other side. Like, that's just me, right? And then, I like to cover myself completely. I'm telling myself, I'm just being real, right? I love to cover myself up. I like the fan running and the air conditioner running, all right? And then, I like to cover the, the bottom of the bed. I try to lift my foot up so the covers go under my feet, and then I'm comfortable. That I can't, unless those things happen in sequential order, then I cannot go to sleep. I'll be up all night and I'm like, what's going on, right? This guy is sleeping on a rock with no blanket. What's the point? He's uncomfortable. And this is a phrase I try to say often. If you're a follower of Christ, you have to learn how to be comfortable with what? Being uncomfortable. In verse 12, it says, Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and his top reached heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Think about this. He is sleeping and has a vision in his sleep regarding the location that he was at. And in his dream, he sees what's called a ladder. Another interpretation is a stairwell. Nevertheless, he sees angels going up and down on this place. Now, this is also a reference to Jesus Christ. We can't get there today, but just understand, he realizes he's in a geographic location where angels have access to God. Access to God. And that is the point. He having access to God. Because before we are saved, we don't have access to God. But Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, or the ladder, the stairwell, is our access to God. It's foreshadowing something in the future. But we know angels are ascending and descending. We know that they are a part of the process. We don't know much about angels. The scripture doesn't tell us much because oftentimes humans have a propensity to worship angels. But here, these angels are ascending and descending, taking to God, whether it be our prayers or information. And this is something that is perpetuated throughout all of scripture. Angels are a viable and vital point, part of our existence. We don't know all much about them yet, but we soon will. But until then, just understand, he's at the place in his sleep where he's seen how they function in our lives. But during this dream, he goes on and he sees something amazing. 
This word behold is not in our English vernacular. The word in our English vernacular, which is probably the transliteration of it, is like, wow. He goes, wow. Wow. And the Lord stood. This is an interesting point. Why? Because we don't see often in the scriptures the Lord standing. Normally the Lord is what? Sitting. But he always stands during a very important point. Remember when Stephen was stoned, he says what he saw, the Lord standing up. Standing could be a symbol of honor or concern. But nevertheless, he sees God standing above this ladder. And then God says, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. I can stop right there. And this is why we stay away from Genesis because there's so much information here. It's hard to process. The first thing I want to point out is he says, I am the God of Abraham. Am. Abraham at this point is what? Dead. But to God, he ain't dead. He's still very much alive. The second point is, who is Jacob's father on the earth? It's, help me somebody, Isaac. But the scripture doesn't say Isaac. The scripture says his father is Abraham. Now, this is the point of the Bible. Oftentimes people see things like this and they say, oh, the Bible's wrong. And they lose their faith without understanding what the scripture's trying to communicate. In the New Testament, the Bible says Abraham is our father of what? So here, God is communicating to Jacob a very important point. Just like your father, Abraham, your grandfather was faithful to me, trusted me. You also have to trust me. Remember, you can't pass your faith on to your kids. Each of these men, Abraham, Isaac and even Jacob had to come into faith for themselves. As much as I love my kids, I can't make them believe or trust God. This is a young man who's leaving home, going to get his wife. It's like he's going to college, even though he's running for his life. He's gone 50 miles, and now he's taking a rest. And in his first 50 miles, he has this vision of God. God is coming to him and revealing himself to him. And he has a choice at this moment to trust God. To me, I think this is Jacob's, one of his best moments until we get to chapter 32. But here, God introduces himself. He says, I'm the God, the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. He says, this land on which you lie will give to you and your descendants. He's talking about a future. Right now, he has nothing. A stick, no food. But God is saying, I have a plan for your life. He goes on to 14. It says, also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. He has no what? What? And he's being told by God, you're going to have descendants like the dust of the earth. He goes on this, you shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, this is one of the most important points of this text right here. Jacob knew God as the God in Beersheba. During this time in human history, people attached their gods to specific geographical locations. He's leaving Beersheba, going to Haran. 
He's like, what in the world is happening? God is here too. I'll get to that point later, but let's go on. It says in 15, whoa, wow, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I've done what I've spoken to you. God has given him a promise. God is saying, I will do this for you. I will be your God. I will bless you. You will bless the nations. It's unconditional almost. Let's keep going. Now listen to what happens here. 16. And then Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said this. Surely the Lord is in this place. What he, he's like, God is here too. This is amazing. God is here with me now. In this dark place, in this place where I'm alone, in my trouble, God has not forsaken me. And Jacob is learning the lesson I believe every believer has to learn for themselves. That he is always there. But you have to find that out for yourself. This is not a theological proposition, an ideology. There is a person who is there with you. Say 17. Oh, sorry. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. His understanding, his theology is growing. He has a greater understanding of God. In verse 17, it says, And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And here we the main point of the scripture. In 18, and then Jacob rose early in the morning, took the stone he had put his head on. He set up as a pillar and poured out oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, which is the house of God. But the name of that place had been Luz previously, which basically is a historical fact to help us realize this is grounded and rooted in history. And now verse 20. And then Jacob made a vow. He said this. This is the problem I have with the scripture. This is the wrestling point I have. This is the part where you're going to, you can challenge me on this one. But this is the part I want you to think about, consider. This is called a conditional cause and effect. Whether it's in Greek or even in Hebrew. This conditional cause and effect can go one of two ways. It could either be simply a cause and effect or it can be a conditional cause and effect, which are two completely different things. Why? So what I'm saying here is this if a lot of times can be translated since. If any of you have a, tele, a smartphone or a Bible app, if you look up Young's literal interpretation, if you want to do it right now, the word here is if is not there. The word is seeing God is with me. Does that make sense? Everybody shaking their head or upset with me? See, it doesn't make sense after God has just given him all these great promises. This is one of our fathers of faith. God told him to be faithful. And now he's like, if you keep your word, remember, John's dad said, how is it going to happen? If, remember the young man who, remember the man in Jesus' time whose son was throwing himself in the fire. He came to Jesus and said, Lord, if you could do everything. And Jesus was like, if? It was a negative response. God has just revealed himself to Jacob. Right now, his faith is on cloud nine. He's not coming down from this. Right now, my understanding of his interpretation, it should be since. And there's a lot of other interpretations that actually say since as well. 
So this scripture says, since God be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. So what I think he's saying here is, I trust you, God. You've just revealed yourself to me. And because of that, I trust you. And because I trust you, I'm making a vow. You committed to me, and I'm committing to you. In verse 22, it says, And this stone, which I've said as a pillar, shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will surely give you a tenth, a tithe. Father God, in this brief time I have, I ask you to speak through me so that you can get glory through my words. In Jesus' name, amen. So I know it took a lot of effort to go there. And that's my power, my clicker. Oh, it didn't die. Good. All right, got a couple points and we're done for the day. So here, I have to give a couple of caveats before I give these points because these are concepts that aren't necessarily English or American. Because covenants and vows are not something that we deal with daily. Jesus said, what? Don't even swear. Jesus said, let your yes be yes, your no be no. We don't even, we're not even allowed to make vows anymore according to the scriptures. But when we get married, we make vows. We make covenants with our spouse. And that covenant, that vow was there designed to keep us when times are bad. God made a covenant with us and swore by himself. He didn't swear with us because we would break the covenant. But God swore by himself that he would keep us. Here, Jacob is making a vow to God, committing to God a tenth of everything he would get. Because God has promised him all these great and precious things. Now, Jacob, in his mind, may be thinking, man, once I get back to my dad's house, I'm going to have all this great stuff. But remember, when Jacob comes back to his dad's house, he's wealthy. He doesn't even need his dad's stuff because God has blessed him without his father. See, Jacob learned to trust God for himself. And God blessed him. Now, his, his life was difficult. His life was tough. But nevertheless, he learned to trust God for himself. And he comes back home a wealthy man, not needing any of the stuff that, in a sense, Jacob had blessed him with. He's like, no, no, Esau, you can have it. I have my own stuff. Jacob became independently wealthy. And not only that, God gave him a new name, which is Israel, the one who has wrestled with God and won. So Jacob found his own relation with God. And because he trusted God when the promise came, God considered that righteous. And here, Jacob is giving to God in the future a tithe. 10% of everything God promised him he would get. This is a struggle point for a lot of people. But the issue is that he's given a tithe because in a sense, okay, um, I'm obligated or I'm, I'm trying to get God to do something. God has already promised. And God, his word is good. So because he trusted God here, he decided to say, hey, I'm going to give you a tithe of everything you're going to give me in the future. And that tithe was for God's protection. God, since you're going to bless me, protect me. God, since you're going to bring me back to this place, 
I'm going to give you a tenth of everything you give me. Next point. Giving God our assets is a viable way of memorializing his intervention. See, when we do a vow or we have our wedding anniversary, we remember what? That we, that we got married, that we committed ourselves to each other. When you give your tithes, whether it be on Sunday or over the internet during the week or whenever it is, it's a memorial to remind you that God is the one who keeps you. God's the one who protects you. God's the one who's making it happen. And it's a way for you to remember that. Sometimes I know people are like, oh, I can't give my tithe this week because I don't have enough money. We talked about that last week. We talked about budgeting. We talked about fear. We talked about tithe as a way of freeing you from being greedy or recognizing that God's in control, helping you learn generosity. But here he's given because he trusts God. And he said, God, I'm giving you my tithe so that I remember. We all, whoever is married, well, most of us have wedding rings on. And when I was first married, I looked at my wedding ring more than I do now. When I was first married, I looked down, oh, I'm married. I can't even think that way. Oh, help me, Lord. Right? The wedding ring was a memorial. It reminded me that I was married. And it changed my behavior. Here, he's going to get a tie to God to remind him it was God, not him, the one who gave him all that stuff. Next point. Trust God with your protection. You're still alive this day. And I don't know what helps you to remember that God's the one who protects you. I don't know what you need to do. There was a time when I wasn't very punctual. And you know what I did to be punctual? I set my alarm clock. Oh, no, I set the timer on the clocks ahead 15 minutes. I needed to make an adjustment on my side so that I would never be late. So I was a single man. And often I left the house and forgot to take stuff with me that I needed. I left my wallet at home when I was living by myself. I just left my keys at home. I'm driving. I got no keys. You know, this is it's impossible. I was doing everything wrong. So I said, how can I make this adjustment so that I remember that I need to take this stuff out of the house? So I threw everything I needed at the front door that night before I left the house. And when I, right before I went out the front door, I said, oh, thank you. I got to take all this. And now I'm gone. That's what he's doing. He's saying, I'm going to give this money to God, 10%, so that I remember he's the one who's doing this, not me. It's a memorial to what he's doing in my life. Exchanging money for God's services builds our dependence on him. Remember, we're giving God our finances, not because, in a sense, he needs it, or we're, we're in this, in a sense, um, exchange. We're, we're doing this because we love him, but we have to remember we're dependent on him. Everything we have comes from God, and you're more dependent on God than you know. As we try to keep our bodies in shape, and we go out and work real hard, if our bodies break down, we can't work. God is the one who keeps us healthy and strong. 
We recognize that we are dependent on God. A lot of people live this life as though they don't need God. Giving helps us to remember that we are ultimately dependent upon him. This was a funny one. I don't, it, it didn't make a lot of sense, but it made sense that you got to wrote it down. God doesn't need your money, but he'll take it. He doesn't need our money. God's not broke. Giving God our money is not for him. The Bible says he owns a cattle on how many hills? A lot of hills. Yep. And, the, and it's not literally a thousand. It's just he, his resources are unlimited. We give money for us. If you go throughout your day thinking, man, I've done this and I've done that. Man, I've worked real hard and, I've, and I earn this. I deserve it. And a lot of times we'll, in a sense, misappropriate where the value should be in our lives. God gives the ability to create wealth. That's His. Last point. And we're done. Remember, what we promise to God, we are obligated by God to give. When I got saved, I said, Lord, whatever you want of me, I'll do. That, those words came out of my mouth. I fell on my knees and I said, God, I recognize you saved me. And because I realize you saved me, Lord, I'll do anything you ask. I didn't come to God conditionally. I didn't say, God, if you keep me a Viking, oh, I'll be faithful. If you help me make it to the NFL, Lord God, I'll serve you all my days. No. I said, Lord, I recognize you saved me. And because you saved me, I owe you everything. And if all you're asking is for just 10, then take it. And I give him 10. I give him 20. I give him whatever he asked for. And I watch him work in my life. This has been a presentation of Endurance Church. For more about the ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash endurancechurch. And like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash endurancechurch.tv. Remember to live well and finish strong.